Welcome to Bethlehem Covenant Church's sermon podcast. We pray that you will be blessed as you listen to this message. Well, good morning. Today we are continuing in our People of God sermon series um, as we've been looking at how the church and its people have grown as a result of following Jesus. Now, way back at the beginning of Acts, when we started this, we saw that there was a fire lit there in the hearts of the people by Jesus as he gave them his sending and his commissioning to those first early disciples. Well, today's story that we're looking at is not too different from that story at the beginning of Acts, as we see this new fire lit into the hearts of two main people of Cornelius and Peter. Well, they each had an experience with God separately, but in both cases, they are given this new understanding from God, this new vision that kind of completely blasts through um, and changes their previous understanding. So let's go ahead and read our scripture for today, which comes from Acts 10, and we're going to read chapters, or Acts 10, chapter 10, verses 1 through 35. And it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. At one day, at three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear, saying, What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. While Peter was wondering about the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit spoke to him and said, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house that we could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. Well, the next day, started, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together all of his family and relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are aware that it is against our law as Jews for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit with him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising an objection. May I ask why you sent for me? 
Cornelius answered, Four days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every man and woman from every nation who fear him and do what is right. So in our scripture text today, we see two main individuals. We see Cornelius and Peter. And the first man that we meet is Cornelius. And scripture tells us that he is part of this regiment of the Roman army, and he is stationed in Caesarea. And he seems to have this budding faith that even the community knows about in this Jewish God. And this might seem a little weird as he is the commander of a Roman army, um, a Roman legion. And most likely, though, Cornelius grew up knowing and worshiping the Roman gods because, well, he had to. But now we know that he lives in Caesarea, which is a city by the sea. It was a port city, and it was probably just north of what is modern day Tel Aviv in Israel. And so since his time living and working in Israel, he seems to have lost faith in these Roman gods and has come to see that they don't offer hope and they have not fulfilled what he was expecting. But he has noticed that he sees the God of Israel does. Perhaps he has kind of heard through the grapevine from the Jewish community that's a little bit around him. He's heard this message that the gospel that was given to the Jews, this good news, and it's been near his region enough that he's heard it too. And so he's become convinced that this God has something to offer. And so he begins to give to their causes, like helping the poor. He's praying to their God. We even see later in verse 30 that he was praying at a specific time in the day. He was praying at three in the afternoon when he had that vision. But this is one of the designated prayer times that the Jews would have prayed each day, morning, noon, and afternoon. Some believe it even to be more specific as three hours after sunrise, at noon, and then three hours after noon. So this would have been the third set prayer time when Cornelius had set aside time from work and from his daily duties to pause and pray for the third time in the day. But aside from this individual prayer and his giving to these worthy causes, he was still a Gentile and so wasn't allowed in the temple to worship at that time. And so he didn't have much opportunity and access to continue to worship or learn about this Jewish God. He was still a very much an outsider. He wasn't part of the church of the day, definitely not of the Jews and not so much of the followers of the way because they hadn't reached his neighborhood yet. But without having a local body or a community to be a part of, we see him in this text still tithing and praying and doing whatever he can to experience the living God. Cornelius, you can see here, is hungry to know God. And you can imagine his surprise then when one day this heavenly messenger, this angel, comes down to meet with him and tells him to send for a man named Peter. Now, because the messenger of God told Cornelius to send for a man in Joppa, he probably figured out that this man was going to be Jewish. And that's because Joppa was the Jewish port city um, further south, and Caesarea was the Gentile, more Gentile port city of the north, both along the Mediterranean coast. Well, so then enters Peter. 
And I love how perfect God's timing is. And we saw this in the last couple of weeks and we see it again today. But last week when Paul and Ananias were brought together at the perfect timing, giving Paul those days to repent and come to know the Lord and Ananias showing up to to remove those scales from his eyes. And we saw it when um, Peter was placed alongside the road to meet with the Ethiopian. God has this perfect timing because he has the grand vision. What happens again today, and God works as only he can, as Peter... um, is immediately has a knock at his door um, as soon as he's done with his time in prayer. Because Cornelius has his vision, sends them out. Peter finishes times of prayer. There's that knock on the door, and it's none other than those same exact servants and the messenger that Cornelius sent to go find Peter. It wasn't a day later. It wasn't even hours later. It was right after Peter finished praying and having his vision from heaven. Well, now, even though both of these men have these visions from heaven, Cornelius, that messenger from God, Peter, the sheet from heaven, they serve a little bit of a different purpose for each man. Both visions are from God, and they're being used to serve God's ultimate plan. But Cornelius' vision was more one of encouragement, where Peter's was more one of unity. And I want to take a step back for a moment to give you a little background on where this comes from. So at the beginning of Acts, the disciples were living out the commission that Jesus had given them in in Matthew 28, saying, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, then Jesus clarifies this, this vision in Acts 1 with the sending of the Holy Spirit, with the sending of his helper, and letting them know they would be his witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but in also in all of Judea and all of Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And we know this from previous weeks of this series that so far they had been in the temple at the Sanhedrin talking and sharing the gospel and the good news there both in Acts 4 and Acts 7. And the Sanhedrin was in Jerusalem. So that's the first one. They put a little check mark off the list that Jesus had given them. Well, then once they started getting persecuted in that area, they moved on to the surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria in Acts 8. They're again checking off those places in order. They got Jerusalem, Judea, and now Samaria. The new church was going in order and because Jesus knew what he was doing. Those first two stops, Jerusalem and Judea, were all to a Jewish audience. And somewhere in which they could get their bearings of this new commissioning, of being these witnesses, being these martyrs, to this new good news. Well, Samaria was next. And that wasn't so bad because at least these people were half Jewish and half Gentile. And even if they had argued over some things in the past, they all had the similar background of following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They had a familiar background. But they hadn't moved on to this last group of people that Jesus had commissioned them to go to, to the ends of the earth, to the people unlike them, to the outsiders, to those outside their comfort circles. God was demonstrating to Peter through this vision that he had in prayer that he needed to start including those outsiders now. I also think it's interesting to note that it wasn't like this was just taking place over a first few um, weeks or months or even a first few years. The early disciples and apostles, when they got this commissioning from Jesus, they stayed in these first three regions, Judea, Judea, Jerusalem, and Samaria, for many years. Most scholars believe that they preached in these areas for almost 10 years before they had their vision for the world reignited and then would start preaching the gospel and the good news to the Gentiles. So it's been almost 10 to 11 years after Jesus had the original sending of them to go to the world. This new Christian church, this followers of the way, the truth, and the life, along with those first original disciples, they had spread the news about Christ to people of their own or to people very similar to them. 
10 years had passed and still the Gentiles had not heard the gospel proclaimed directly to them. Like we see with Cornelius, it sounds like they might have known a little bit, but they lost access shortly after that. I love that Paul, and this will be later on, but he captures his heart for the world that the early church did not have yet when he wrote the words later to the Romans saying, how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Well, the disciples, and in our case, Peter today, was only living out three-fourths of the commissioning that Jesus had given them until now. In Acts 10, we see that shift again. We see this shift, we see the rather an expansion of Peter's vision now to all people. God was working to widen Peter's vision and reminding him of that last part of his mission that he gave to the church at the beginning of Acts. To the ends of the earth, for them, started with the Gentiles and the neighboring cities. God was trying to do a new thing, and he wanted to invite Peter in on his grand plan. It reminds me of the hope that God spoke through the prophet Isaiah when he says, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. Well, God was wanting to bring his living water, his living streams of water to the wasteland in the Gentile nations. And we know that God's plans prevail all the time. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Proverbs 16, 9. Well, Peter had had his own plan to continue reaching the lost in the Joppa area, but the Lord was ready to move his feet elsewhere. Well, I like that. Just like Cornelius, Peter also knows the importance and the need to spend time in prayer. And as Peter is praying, we're again, we're reminded of this vision that he has, and he has a vision of something unexpected. The sheet from heaven unfolds to reveal many different types of animals and birds that he has commanded to get up, kill, and eat. Now, Peter is praying during a time that the scripture tells us he's hungry, a meal is being prepared. So it probably would have been easier to just respond with, yes, this is a vision. Sure, God, I'll eat these foods. That's no problem. I can, I can visualize that. That's not a problem. But Peter is obeying a rule that he has followed all his life, not only in the practical world, but also in this vision he's saying. But way back in Deuteronomy 14, the Jews were commanded at that point in time, they were even forbidden to not eat certain animals, reptiles, and birds. So every one of these things presented to him on this, this sheet would have been on this no-no list that he was very familiar with. And again, while in this hungry state, it would have just been easier for him to say, no problem, I can agree with this. I can eat um, in this vision, kill and eat these foods that I'm not normally used to eating. But Peter is still firm in his commitment to abstain from these foods and keep himself clean according to an old Jewish tradition. A Jewish tradition that was still going on, but for him was about to become old. Peter, I love this, even argues back with this voice from heaven. But God here wasn't just talking about food. He was making a point. Because back in Mark 7, 19, Jesus had already declared that all food was clean. And so rather here, God's making the point that we no longer can call something unclean that God has already called clean. Whether it's food, people, locations, schools, occupations, whatever. God was not just declaring the food eaten by the Gentiles clean. He was declaring the whole Gentile people clean and therefore uniting his entire kingdom on earth. The good news was no longer solely given to one nation, but to all the people. 
I also really enjoy that Peter had to see this vision three times as if to point out to us that sometimes we also need multiple reminders from God before something really sinks in, before we actually even take action. It's easier to ignore it the first or the second, but after three times, it's like, oh yeah, maybe I should pay attention. And Peter too, he is persistent in his resistance. But fortunately, God is persistent and he's more persistent. He's also patient in his persistence. Plus, God knew that Peter would need these reminders, and so would we, as we can see in this pattern of threes that God has shown in Peter's life and Peter has seen in his walk with God. We see Peter deny Christ three times. And then Jesus challenged Peter three times to if he loved him and if he would feed his sheep. In other words, and if he would lead the church. And now the sheet of unclean animals and food is being shown to Peter not once, not twice, but three times before it's taken back into heaven. Jesus was teaching Peter and the early church that the church wasn't going to be defined anymore by certain rules and regulations or customs like the Jews of old were used to. But rather, it was the direction in which people were moving. Where were their hearts at? Were their hearts ready and open and willing to receive the good news like Cornelius as he continued to tithe and pray in his Gentile city? Or like Zacchaeus, I think of him, who even though I see that he was marked as a sinner by his peers, was eagerly awaiting Jesus and was desiring to seek after him. This is why we must also be seeking God and his word to see God's vision in all things. Because we cannot expect our vision to be accurate on our own. When we do whatever our perception is, whatever our vision or our idea of the church is, is just that. It becomes ours, not God's. Well, if you remember a few years ago, there was this big debate online um, and it had to deal with some colors. Now, it was a debate that got so big. There was news, national news stories on it. Families were divided over it and it wasn't over a flag or anything political. It was actually over a dress. I think it was a dress from uh, a mom going to a wedding or something like that. But the, in this dress, it looked black and blue to some and gold and white to others. Now, as I'm saying this, you're probably thinking, I, I remember that dress. You are welcome to Google it to see if you can find that image and see if you remember what you thought it was. Well, again, some people were adamant it was black and blue and other people were adamant it was white and gold. And so people were divided. Well, in the short time I spent researching this, it, it seemed that how you viewed the dress depended on what you guessed about the surroundings, what you perceived, what your perception was. So if your mind chose to ass assume that the dress was in a shadow and the light was behind it, then you most likely saw the dress as blue and black. But if you assumed that the dress was in the light, you saw it more as white and gold. Another thing I read even said that if you spent more time inside, you maybe thought it was black and blue. And if you spent more time outside that day, you might've thought it as white and gold because it was depending on your surroundings. Well, all that to say um, that the dress actually was blue and, um, blue and black. So if you had guessed that answer long ago, you were technically right. Um, but all of that to say is that our vision, our vision for the world, for people, for our church, cannot and should not be governed by our surroundings. It can't be dictated by what we see or by our social media accounts or by a friend group at school or at work, but it must be governed by what God sees, which is what we read in his word. With God, our vision is both clear and right and true 
because he alone can see the whole image. God could see his vision for the church expanding beyond the Jewish nation, but poor, poor Peter could not see that yet until God met him and clarified his vision. Both Peter and Cornelius were in prayer and they were fasting when they heard from God and received this clarity and this direction. For Peter, he also received this kind of refocusing of his vision that he heard from Jesus back in Acts 1. He refocused his vision and each of those men understood that God was the only one able to give them a correct vision. And this is what really sticks with me when I read this text, because I can so often try to fit my world and my vision and my perception and my view of people and try to smoosh it into fit into what I think it should fit into God's kingdom. But I've got to use God's instruction and God's only perfect truth to view and live in this world, not the other way around. But to do that, I have to abide in him and to be in a daily relationship with the living God. Like in our examples in Acts 10, we must be in prayer. And it makes me think of the verse in John 15 where it says, Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. And I know I did only read half of that verse and it was intentional because sometimes I think we can read part of the scripture and just take part of it without looking at the whole. And if we do only that, that'd be easy. That part of the verse is easy. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. I'd probably ask for no more crumbs in my house and no more laundry ever. It would just be done. But when I do this, I attempt to make God into a little bit of a genie who gives us what we wish rather, rather than treating God like what he is, which is our creator. And when I do that, when I, I'm trying to make God fit into my view of the world, just as Peter was trying to push back in that vision, telling God that he, he wasn't going to make himself unclean, we can, when we do this, we treat God as a genie. But God is patient, we saw it with Peter, and he is persistent and he knows what is best for us. It's the first part of the verse in John 15 that we don't want to leave out. And it says, remain or abide in me and my words remain in you. Then ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. It's because when we abide in Christ, our hearts and mind can more clearly see Christ's heart. Then what we wish and what we desire starts to align more closely to what Christ desires. Remaining in Christ and in his word, we are able to see our vision and our goals through Christ's perspective, through this filter of Jesus. The difference becomes if I will choose to see the world through my own lens or use God's word as my lens for the world. And honestly, like I said earlier, this is what sticks with me because this is where I so often fail. If I'm always turning to the world for help with my vision on God versus turning to God on my vision of the world, I confuse this one for the real thing. For example, if I turn to Instagram to show me how to be more thankful for doing my laundry, and I promise you there are a gazillion videos on Instagram that probably can show me how to fold in different ways and do my laundry with more joy and more creativity. And if I do those things, I will probably end the evening feeling more thankful for my kids. But who did I thank? Did I give my kids an extra hug and tell them I love them? Which would be wonderful but I certainly wasn't being pointed back to the creator God for how he knit my kids together and how he placed them in my care. In this same example, if I had chosen to look through Christ's lens in doing my laundry, then not only would I end up praising him for how he created my children, but I'd also probably be able to tell them how special they are to me and to God for how he fearfully and wonderfully created them in my womb. But I'd also be able to maybe spend that time praying and thanking God for my children 
and also be able to have some time to thank him for yours. Social media might show me something good, but God shows me something better. If I look to the world to find my worth, I'm told that if I strive a little harder, work a little bit more, volunteer a few more times, work out for maybe five more minutes, and if I did all of those things, I might actually improve quite a bit. But if I do all of those things over and over again, I'm realizing that I'm always going to need a little bit more. And instead of finding my worth, I'm slowly going to learn that I'm not good enough because I can't always do more. If I use the Bible as my lens, I read that God has greatly lavished his love upon me and calls me a child of God that I am wonderfully made, Psalm 139, and that I have no need to compare myself to others and do more, 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Again, the world may tell me something good, and I might get a little bit better because of it, but God's vision is always better. And we need to be ready to receive this vision and direction that God has for us. Which leads me back to Cornelius here. At the end of chapter 10, we see Peter follow God's direction to share the gospel now with the ends of the earth, and Peter is about to enter Cornelius' home. Now, you have to remember, just two days ago, he was pushing back, saying, I don't want to become unclean. That's going to cause problems. I won't be able to continue to do my work, and people will label me as something that I don't want to be labeled as. So this would have been a huge step for Peter's about not, not only just going to eat something in private or in a vision, he is crossing the threshold of, to a, of a Gentile home and declaring to the world, I'm unclean and I'm doing this knowingly in public. But he doesn't seem afraid. He's ready to do it. And when he enters Cornelius' home, he doesn't just meet Cornelius. The scripture tells us that his whole household was there. Cornelius was expectantly waiting for Peter and his friends because Cornelius did not doubt God's plans when he sent for Peter. So much so that Cornelius brings together all of his relatives and his friends, and they are eagerly waiting to hear what Peter, a Jewish man, is willing to share with them. They finally get its chance to be included in the family of God, and they can't wait. This story just ends on such a spiritual high. Because while Peter is sharing the good news, the entire household receives the same gifts that the disciples received years ago in the upper room. They get the gift of the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues and they are praising God in unity. This is almost a perfect replica of the Pentecost in Acts 2. The room was packed full of followers of Jesus. They were waiting for what was to come next. They were expectant for whatever God was going to do. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit rushes in and pours out on all of them. They begin speaking in tongues. And the day is finished with everyone praising the Lord. On that first Pentecost, many people became believers. And now at what could be called the second Pentecost, God is showing up again by sending this same Spirit on the Gentiles. The Gentiles begin speaking in tongues and everyone's praising God. We are witnessing the Gentile Pentecost. And I don't know about you, but it wasn't until college that I figured this out. Um, and when I would read scripture before then, I always kind of felt like God's chosen family. Like I was part of the, I was in the story in the Old Testament. But the more I realized that I am not part of God's chosen people of the Old Testament. In fact, I am mostly German, um, among other things, but I would have most likely then lived under Roman rule in Germany if I had lived back then. And so I was a Gentile. I am a Gentile. But with this pivotal moment in God's vision, if without it, I would still be living outside of God's family. 
But because of God's view of the world, for his vision of the world, I am not an outsider, and neither are you. The people of God, the family of God, just got a whole lot bigger that day because two men chose to follow God's vision for their lives. Now, even if Peter had chosen not to follow God's instructions to go to Cornelius' house, God would have still opened the doors for you and me to be part of his family. Fortunately, though, Peter chose not to look at the world with his own lens, but he chose to see the world through the lens of Christ and follow his vision for the world. And so just a few questions I want to leave with you today. Where is your vision maybe needing some adjustment? Do you need to go back to the drawing board and spend time alone with God in prayer to clarify your vision? Or maybe God has already asked you to widen your vision, and now you just need to act to find that outsider that you know of in your family or in your life and bring them into the fold of God's family to share the good news with them. Or are you like Cornelius? Are you eagerly awaiting a chance to hear the good news? And guess what? The good news is here. And as Peter said to a room full of Gentile believers, how true is it that God does not show favoritism, but accepts all people from every nation who fear him and do what is right, that everyone who believes in Christ receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father of Lord, thank you that you have this grand vision that sometimes we fail to see even today, to include all people, every tongue, every nation, every man, every woman, every child. Thank you that you love us enough to care for all of us. And thank you that you give us opportunities to see that and to join you in your vision. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. To stay up to date with all of Bethlehem Covenant Church's information and events, head to bccwaverly.org.